Okay, so let's get into what's going on in the exciting land of coronavirus these days. So Steve Crowder, been on his show a couple of times, he said, thank God we had President Trump in January and February, right? And the reason he's saying all of this is that there was a lot of the media that was talking about that the coronavirus travel ban was xenophobic, right? And this is even as of March the 12th, 2020, right? Uh, This is the, well, it's a flashback, right? So this whole racism hysteria, as I said before, this, this calling everyone racism and xenophobic and bigoted, and this is just one of these weird tsunami cult-like hysterias that roll through the human population from time to time. Like, you know, seeing witches in 17th century Salem, Massachusetts, or whatever it was, that it just, you know, you can't really reason back on people. You, it's going to just have to run its course. And uh, boy, it's been lasting a long time. But this everything is racist and everyone's a racist is very, very, uh, very strange. Uh, here's, here's an odd little item for those of you in New York or just in general. This kind of struck my, uh, not funny bone exactly, there's not a huge amount of funny stuff that's going on here, but something that was kind of interesting, right? So if we look at this, this is from Gerald Beer. March the 1st, a ban on single-use plastic bags in New York begins today. Here's what to know. March 18th, reusable tote bags can sustain the COVID-19 and flu viruses and spread the virus throughout the store. So, uh, there's that. Now, of course, nobody will ever say, oh, maybe that wasn't a great idea. Now, this is a bitter tweet, but this is a very important tweet. It's a very important tweet because, man, are there some manipulative people out there. Holy goodness on a stick and a half. All right, look at this. Bitter, but it's really quite powerful and quite accurate. This is from Mr. Shikaki, he who smugs. 2016, we will not let Trump close the borders. Resist! 2017, we will not let Trump close the borders. Resist! 2018, we will not let Trump close the borders. Resist! 2019, we will not let Trump close the borders. Impeach! 2020, why didn't Trump protect us? Ooh, that is... uh, That is a fine question. Those of us, of course, who've been calling for border controls for many years have been tragically vindicated. Not that we will receive receive any particular apologies or corrections or anything like that, but uh, I guess in this life, it's just good enough to know that you were right because very few people will ever uh, tell you that uh, they are sorry, that they appreciate it, and so on, right? Okay, Carl Quintanilla has pointed out, this is an important chart posted, by Deutsche Bank today, and not for the first time. Okay, so look at this. This is uh, really, really chilling stuff. 53% of US, U.S. households. You know, I, I don't, you don't need as much of my head here, do you? Okay, let me move over a little bit here. Yeah, let me, let me get boxed out in the corner here. That's fine. 53% of U.S. households don't have emergency savings. So this is percentage of adults with no emergency savings account. So the total is 53. Look at these. Numbers, 18 to 29, 59%, 20 to 39, 49%, 40 to 49, almost 60% have no emergency savings account. 50, 59, 60. Now, they may, of course, have bitcoins, cryptos, other things, but probably not a big percentage of all of this kind of stuff. So that is really, really important. And, you know, looking down at this graph from Peter Schmidt, this is kind of important as well, right? Top 1% of earners. So if you go in sort of 1920, post-war period and so on, then 
when Nixon ended the gold standard, which was the tying in to some degree, it had already been weakened under FDR, but when Nixon ended the gold standard in 1971, you can see here that the richest 1% have just gone massive in terms of income growth, whereas the income growth that was occurring in the post-war period, post-war period is really tragic in many ways in America in particular, but throughout the West. So in the post-war period, poverty was declining 1% every single year, an amazing time in human history. We were within a decade or two of eliminating involuntary poverty, right? Voluntary poverty, you take a vow of celibacy, you quit your software job to be a internet podcaster or something like that, like I did. But So there's voluntary poverty, right? But there is also uh, involuntary poverty, right? Now, involuntary poverty is when, you know, it's just kind of accidental and mistakes were made and so on. But if you can see here, the poverty rate was declining, and then the welfare state comes in and the poverty rate stops declining and, I would argue, has increased. And now we're spending, well, America's spending much more than 17 times what it used to spend, and poverty is still intractable. And you're giving people money doesn't solve money problems. It's just So here you can see when Nixon ended the gold standard, the increase in income for the bottom 90% of earners stopped and has been relatively stagnant. Whereas the income after a short lag, well, I guess a relatively decent lag, a decade or so, the top 1% of earners, their income goes through the roof in terms of income growth, right? And this is really uh, horrible, really tragic. Here you can see, of course, this is the 2007-2008. You guys can't see my mouse, but sorry, just on the right here. That's the 0708 housing crisis. And uh, the reason for all of that is that when the government creates money, it hands it out to its banker friends first, where it has full value. And by the time it trickles down to everyone else, it has uh, very little value. So it is completely brutal what the socializing, the socialization of the money supply has done to the poor, you know, and, and those of us who've been demanding or requesting or urging for a non-communist control of the currency, well, it's because we actually care about the poor in a way that the leftists don't seem to, right? Janice Fiamengo, you should really follow her. She's got wonderful stuff to say. So the coronavirus is so much more deadly for men than for women, right? The deaths of men outnumbered those of women by a factor of two to one. This mirrors the experiences of China. And she says, I'm waiting for feminists or anybody to come forward now to say that special measures need to be taken to protect men of all ages from the coronavirus. And that, given their greater immunity, women need to step up. Haven't seen anything yet. See, it's not about equality. Uh, feminism is not about equality. It's about uh, female superiority and all that. All right, so here's another thing that uh, I guess is kind of preying on the um, medical and statistical illiteracy of the average person raised in government schools. So the drug touted by the U.S. President Donald Trump as a possible line of treatment against the coronavirus comes with severe warnings in China. And um, the title is Virus Drug Touted by Trump Musk Can Kill With Just Two Grams. And Dr. Milton Wolf rightly points out every single drug ever in history kills if overdosed. Even water kills if taken in excess. The American media is garbage. They'll claim a cure is a killer just to bash real Donald Trump. They are the enemy of the people. Now, that is frankly an insult to garbage, which doesn't you, do you any particular harm. It would be probably closer to the vermin that live in the garbage. Uh, that would be the case. Now, okay, check this out. This is something quite wild. Uh, and again, please follow Jack Posobiec uh, as a guy who speaks Mandarin and lived in China. You know, he's a good guy to follow in this particular area. 
And I don't know. I'm a little frightened to turn off the uh, sound here, but look at this. Look at this. Line of people outside hospital in Wuhan yesterday. So this would be 19th or two days ago. Uh, that is really something. These are all the people, and of course they're lining up a distance apart, right, so that they don't infect each other. But this is the line of people outside a hospital in Wuhan yesterday. Whether or not you believe the um, Chinese government's claim that they've beaten the virus, well, uh, well, you can look at these kinds of numbers, and uh, certainly large. And look at the orderliness of that. It's really wild. I, my heart absolutely breaks for the Chinese people. I just got to tell you, my heart absolutely breaks for the Chinese people and all that they have to suffer under communism. It is uh, uh, appalling and, and horrible. And, you know, if you guys are listening to this at all, please know that there are a few of us here in the West who truly understand and get your suffering. And we're doing what we can to try and bring the truth to the situation. Um, I'm going to put out probably tomorrow my interview with the, with the Falun Gong fellow. All right. Um, Beijing's claim of no new infections contradicts reality on the ground. And, uh, well, that seems quite uh, important as well. And I'm going to just put links to this below. Uh, I'll just read to this. Uh, well, I will uh, put links to this below. I won't, we've got a lot to go through, so I don't want to go eat through each one of the articles. But there are significant indications on the ground in China that this idea that there are no new virus infections is... Uh, is the case. Now, there is a constant thing that people do in the world, which is that they mistake the government for the people. And that is very important. I mean, you probably wouldn't want to get blamed for the war on terror. You probably wouldn't want to get blamed for the invasion of Iraq if you're American. But Gordon G. Chang is a fellow I had on my show some time ago. And uh, China and the U.S. are decoupling. Is that a good or bad thing? And again, China and U.S., the people versus the state, are two different things. So he says, decouple from China's communists, make allies with the Chinese people, the people of Tibet, Hong Kongers, and the Uyghurs, and the Kazakhs support Taiwan. We have allies in Beijing's most immediate victims. Uh, the government in China is absolutely uh, monstrous. Absolutely monstrous. All right. Um, uh, Robert Barnes, he's also been on this show. He has, um, I, I want to share with you, of course, all the good news, as well as the uh, uh, slightly more alarming uh, things. But he says, most important chart media is hiding the dramatic decline, not exponential growth in the virus death rate over time everywhere. And this is important. So this is China, South Korea, Italy, Iran, and the USA. This is as of yesterday. So day one is when the country reached about 40 cases. That's the bottom left. And as time progresses, daily increase in the number of reported COVID-19 cases, uh, that's declining. And again, um, you know, Italy and the USA, we're going to assume have better numbers. South Korea would have better numbers. China and Iran, I wouldn't uh, really believe that. And uh, this is increase in percent number of reported. I think Robert Barnes referred to it as a death rate. I don't think that's the case. It's just infection rate, but uh, it's not death. Yeah, cases. Okay, so that's important, right? So there is a decline, and I believe that that's a result of this social distancing and so on, right? Okay, let's look at Peter Kolchinsky. He has got some very important stuff to talk about with regards to this virus. And this means, you know, that the suffering that you're going through is, uh, is going to have some, it has some value, right? 
Okay, so his case, yeah, yeah, okay. His case here is, uh, he says, I'm a virologist. People should, public should know, COVID exposure dose matters. We have to conserve masks for healthcare workers, but masks can help anyone, reducing the amount of virus released, even by breathing or taken in. Immune system is more effective if infection starts with a low dose. Keeping the exposure dose to a minimum means the virus has to divide many more times before getting to high levels, but the immune system starts responding and therefore can flatten the curve, keeping the peak viral load lower so it does less damage, right? So you understand, right? If you end up with, I don't know, like a 10,000 units of COVID and it starts multiplying, then you're going to hit, you know, peak infection fairly quickly. If you get 100 or 10, then they're going to multiply, of course, but it's low enough of an increase and slow enough of an increase. Remember, it's like an exponential curve. So it goes kind of low and then up through the roof. And that means that your immune system is going to have time to develop the antibodies and get control of it. Sorry, just leading back so that my swallowing noises don't bother people. He says, that won't help everyone for various reasons, whether genetics, immunosuppressive medications, or underlying conditions. Even low exposure levels will climb to high dangerous levels. But on the whole, keeping everyone's exposure dose down, if exposed, could save lives. Please keep in mind Though the healthcare workers and anyone working with vulnerable people should have a priority as long as masks are in limited supply, they must be protected. So that's an important thing to remember. Now, in terms of uh, globalism and, you know, we're all one big happy family, well, of course, events are putting a lie to that dangerous fantasy. Human beings are tribal, uh, always have been, uh, probably always will be. And that tribalism comes out, of course, in times of crisis. The only reason that diversity and multiculturalism all seems to work, of course, is because the government just keeps printing money. So India has banned exports of medical supplies, ventilators included. The exports of all ventilators, surgical disposable masks, masks only, and textile raw materials for masks and coveralls has been prohibited with immediate effect. So it's just important to remember when you get this kinds of stuff, when you hear this kind of stuff about, you know, the world being one big happy family, I think some of us can achieve it as individuals, certain groups can achieve it, but when it comes to states, uh, it's just a bunch of nonsense, but still not as embarrassing as a bunch of celebrities singing John Lennon's hymn to communism, imagine where there's no borders and no property from behind their gated mansions in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, let's have no borders in the middle of a pandemic. That'll be great. Okay, so uh, this is from voiceofeurope.com. The Netherlands medical research teams are the first to discover an antibody. Okay, so let's, I'm going to get a little bit more detail in this one. And because, you know, we, we also, of course, want to provide all the good things that are happening to, to y'all. Y'all. Okay. Yeah, yeah, cookie, cookie, cookie. Oh, you know what's tough is that my... <laughs> My wife and daughter, now we're home, we're kind of stuck home. And they're like, hey, let's start baking. So they made these peanut butter cookies, and I'm mostly off sugar, but I had a couple of peanut butter cookies, and it's like, yeah, I was off heroin for a while, but, you know, heroin is really good. <laughs> and that's what cookies are like, and that's what sugar is like. I have to tamp down the beast. All right. Researchers at the Erasmus Medical Center in Rotterdam and at Utrecht University have reported they've discovered an antibody which combats COVID-19 infection. If their discovery is confirmed, the antibody could form the basis of the first vaccine or possibly even a medicine. Of course, it may take some time before an antidote is made available to the public. And um, it's got some technical stuff in here, which is largely beyond me. But again, sources will be below. And you should, uh, you should check it out. There is, uh, there is some seriously good news. I mean, the inventiveness of 
human beings, uh, Europeans are fantastic at coming up with cures as a whole. All right. Now, this is very interesting. And I had a debate some time ago with um, a fellow about the intelligence community. It's, it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. I mean, other than keeping the Clintons out of jail, the intelligence community has uh, um, very little purpose. Well, I guess also investigating Donald Trump illegally. But So Jack Posobiec pointed out the entire intelligence community failed its duty to keep America safe from the coronavirus. Fire the head of all 16 intel agencies and every SES with a China focus. And yes, I know many of you follow me on private accounts. Disgrace! And William Craddock points out the intelligence community had two months or more of open source intelligence coming out of China. Even with all that spoon feeding, they still somehow managed to not properly raise the alarm in time. It's your tax money. It's your liberties being sacrificed for these people. And what did they do? How did they help you? That is not... Not good. Now, you've probably heard of this, and I talked about this a while in the past, but it's still worth mentioning. Uh, there was a... Uh, uh, sorry, I hate to this be the greatest hits that people have been on my show, but uh, this is a tweet from Dinesh D'Souza. You should really check out his documentaries. He's got a new book coming out that I'm very eager for. And he says, Multiculturalism has consequences. As Italy is discovering, it's a very expensive ideology. Uh, this is back in early February. The mayor of Florence, Italy, Dario Nadella initiated Hug a Chinese on Twitter on February the 1st, opposing anger toward China amid the COVID outbreak, calling for unity in this common battle. Many Italian netizens responded by posting photos of themselves with Chinese. And the idea, when Chinese people are carriers potentially of a dangerous virus, that you hate Chinese people rather than recognize the drug that is, or the virus that is dangerous for you, uh, that is, um, that is uh, important, right? I mean... Nature doesn't care about your ideology, right? Nature doesn't care about your sentimentality. Uh, nature is just pretty pretty brutal. Nature is a complete sociopath. It's always important to remember. She'll kill you as soon as look at you. And it's a good thing we're at a distance from it as a whole through civilization. And uh, it's not Ansel Adams. It's uh, more like American Psycho with claws. All right. So this is a very, very important question, right? So we're saying, oh, aged populations are particularly vulnerable, as was the case with Italy, so two months after its first case, Japan has not seen a virus surge. Can I pause this thing yet? Infections are well below G7 members such as the U.S. and Germany. Japan was one of the first countries outside of China hit by the coronavirus, and now it's one of the least affected among developed nations. That's puzzling health experts. Unlike China's draconian isolation measures, the mass quarantine in much of Europe and big U.S. cities ordering people to shelter in place, Japan has imposed no lockdown. While there have been disruptions caused by school closures, life continues as normal for much of the population. Tokyo rush hour trains are still packed and restaurants remain open. Now, of course, Japan is an extraordinarily high IQ country, one of the highest IQs in the world. I think they've got an average IQ of 105 or 106. So that's one aspect. But the other thing, too, because it's a mono-ethnic society, they can make decisions about social policy without constantly being screamed at as racists. And um, I'm, I'm saying that in all seriousness. That is, uh, I'm saying that in all serious. Now, okay, tiny rant time. Tiny rant. Tiny rantings in the stream make me happy. Hopefully it doesn't alienate the entire audience. All right. So, uh, so airlines and Boeing want a bailout, but large U.S. airline companies spent most of their free cash flow of the past 10 years on share buybacks, propping up their quarterly earnings per share results. 
Okay, so real, really briefly. So share buybacks are when company, companies take cash and use it to purchase their own shares. Now, up until the early 80s, this was not legal because it was considered to be, as it, it is, a form of share price manipulation. Like, if, if I run a store and I end up borrowing $10,000 and spending it in my own store, do I then get to say, wow, look, my store sales are up? It's like, no, it's masturbatory. It's not actually real stuff. So uh, it's beneficial to the senior executives, of course, who are often paid in stock options and stock dividends. Stock options are, you know, you get it in a certain amount of time or you get it um, when it hits a certain price. And so when they buy back their own shares, they're artificially inflating the value of their shares because people are buying it who have subsidized shares through options and, and that. So it's really, uh, it's really terrible. And this has happened in a variety of industries. And the last bailout just goes to enriching the top 1% of the 1% within the company. Uh, and then what happens is they spent all this money propping up their own share price. Now, some companies do it like Apple, but they still have a fair amount of cash reserves, right? Other companies are doing it when they're right close to the edge of not having any cash reserves. It's really predatory. I think it's absolutely wrong. Uh, you know, whether it should be illegal or not, I don't know. But I mean, at least shareholders should be able to vote on it as a whole. Because it is, to me, juicing up or coking up the share price in a very horrible way. Now, I was involved in taking a public, uh, taking a company public. It was the parent company of the company that I co-founded. But, you know, we were heavily involved. And because we were an environmental company, it was part of the sort of green investing initiative. So I've seen this whole, you know, this whole process of stock price and manipulations and greed. And, oh, man, it's a monstrous, monstrous situation as a whole. So, you know, this is the problem. Should they be given bailouts? Well, no, they blew their money on enriching themselves. So should they be given bailouts? Well, of course not. They say, oh, well, but if we don't give airlines bailouts, there won't be any planes flying. Well, of course they will. The planes don't vanish. Do you think the planes, if, 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 if uh, United or, or whoever, right, if, if Southwest declares bankruptcy, the planes don't vaporize. You just get new owners coming in. The old owners get kicked out. The new owners come in and lessons have been learned, which is, don't keep buying back your own share and think you're a business genius. I mean, that's, uh, I don't know, like hiring bots to hit likes on your <laughs> Twitter feed and calling yourself a social media genius. It's, uh, it's terrible. So just keep that in mind. Sorry, I dropped my glasses. Hang on. Oh, yeah, that's what they call home studio professionalism. But, um, yeah, so they got a bunch of bailouts. Uh, they blew that money on enriching themselves through buying back their own shares. They should have saved that money for a rainy day. And this is what happened. I was talking earlier about people who've got no savings. Okay, so people never think the disaster is going to happen, but it always does. It always does. I mean, you, you don't have to live too long to realize and recognize Murphy's Law, right? Things are going to go wrong. Things are going to go bad. Look at me. Sailing along healthy as a horse. Boom, cancer. Hey, <laughs> there's a wake-up call. Things just happen. Things go wrong. And so people who don't save, well... um, they're going to have to learn the hard way that you need to save. People say, oh, well, we, 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 we can't save because we're just not making enough money. Come on. Everybody knows. You've got to be honest with yourselves, guys. Everybody can spend less. I could spend less. You could spend less. Everybody could spend less. So don't tell me you can't save. Just about everyone can save. Okay, March 20th, just in case, this is from Paul Joseph Watson. An Italian virologist says that the company's attempt not to appear racist in the early days of the coronavirus outbreak crippled their ability to properly respond to the pandemic. 
He said there was a proposal to isolate people coming from the epicenter coming from China. Then it became seen as racist, but they were people coming from the outbreak. Italy is now the hardest hit country in the world in terms of coronavirus deaths, with 3,405 people losing their lives. I think that's up considerably since then. The need to minimize potential racism and stigmatization in response to the coronavirus was a policy endorsed by the World Health Organization itself on numerous occasions and adopted by the left-wing Italian government. And so, yeah, I'm just pointing out facts. Like when I went to Poland, uh, I was safe. No bomb threats, no death threats. Uh, I could actually have social meetings with people in bars and have a gather, gathering together. We actually had an entire evening where I was a bartender. We had uh, hundreds of people come by who wanted to talk philosophy. And uh, I, I pulled beers for people, handed them out, and we talked philosophy all night. Big glass windows, absolutely unthinkable in a Western country outside of Poland, a couple of others. And of course, I was also safe in Hong Kong. Uh, both of those are almost exclusively mono-ethnic societies. And so... This is just one of the challenges, and you know, you may love diversity, and uh, I understand that, uh, and there's some things that are cool about it, but you do have to recognize that it does lead to uh, enormous numbers of uh, young British girls getting raped, and it also leads to death uh, in this particular instance because it's too easy uh, as a weapon to call people racist. So, let's see here. Oh, yeah, so Peter Schiff had a good tweet. Uh, he's, uh, again, well worth following because it's also fascinating to me how people are actually getting a sense of what's killing the economy. Because when the economy slows down, look at what everyone's doing. Oh, we've got to cut regulations. Oh, we're going to delay taxes. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Okay, well, that's all the stuff that's in the way of economic growth. So maybe we can get rid of that stuff permanently. So Peter uh, said, instead of moving the deadline to file 2019 tax returns to July 15th, he should delay it until November 3rd. If people voted and filed their tax returns on the same day, they may be angry enough to vote for politicians willing to cut government spending and lower taxes. But see, one of the reasons why you can't cut government spending is that the various races in the West will be disproportionately affected by various spending cuts. And so that's just a reality. And so what happens is when you try to cut spending, the mainstream media, mostly the communists in the mainstream media, the socialists in the mainstream media, will scream racism and then everybody will back down. And so you can't manage your spending. It's uh, just one of these great uh, great tragedies. It's a big question from Cindy Simpson. Why was it okay for the media to call the supposed collusion with Russia of Trump Russian collusion, but not okay for Trump to call the virus that actually came from China the Chinese virus? Now, oh boy, yeah, this guy. Holy crap. This guy. This guy. His name, if you don't know it, consider yourself lucky. <laughs> well, until I inform you of it. But uh, this guy, man. Ooh. So um, this is from the Washington Examiner. So the guy's name is Rick Wilson, right? So Rick Wilson, right, let me just pause this. Uh, Rick, Rick Wilson on Wednesday tweeted, hashtag be infected in response to a public service announcement on the coronavirus featuring First Lady Melania Trump. Some people thought, Wilson, who also appears often on HBO's Real Time, was suggesting that he hopes the First Lady contracts the deadly virus. I don't think that's what he was doing, but no serious person who's familiar with Wilson doubts it's something he would do. Why on earth would you not think that that's what he's doing? Wilson is a disreputable person. He says distasteful things all the time. Why does CNN and MSNBC let him do it on their airtime? So, if 
I mean, it's a boring thing to say, but I'll say it anyway, because, you know, every now and then I'd like to lull you guys to sleep. But if, if Michelle Obama had tweeted something about a deadly disease and someone had tweeted at her, be infected, in other words, they had wished for Michelle Obama to become infected with a potentially fatal disease, of course, everybody would be going mental. But uh, it's just this terrible, terrible thing. So um, on Twitter, this is back in 2016, on Twitter he asked conservative author Ann Coulter, does Trump pay you more for anal? I mean, he is a creepy, repulsive guy. You'd want to keep far away from uh, anything you, you found holy or, or positive and so on. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's just repulsive. And this is the level of discourse that is occurring. Um, according to Sky News, this comes out of Raheem Kassam. Social distancing needs to be in place for most of a year, say, government advisors. Now, again, I'm skeptical of the government. I'm passing this forward as information and, um, I hate to sort of say, do with it what you will, like it's all completely subjective, but I do want to give you guys as much information as you can. Yes, cookies, I get it. All right. The advice says the triggers for the controls to be imposed or lifted could be set at a level of UK nations and regions. Sorry, that's not a very comprehensible sentence here. Let's try this again. Social distancing restrictions need to be in place for at least most of a year to control the spread of coronavirus, according to experts advising the government about the pandemic. Evidence from the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, which is advising ministers on the UK's response to the coronavirus pandemic, has been published by the government. So, um, how you plan for this, I don't exactly know, but it is important. Oh, yeah, boy. Okay, one or two more, and uh, this is really something. This is your political leaders at work, and uh, this happens to be Canada, but... uh, It's, I'm sure, going to happen elsewhere if it hasn't already. Parliament tackles the COVID crisis in Canada by pocketing $2.5 million in a pay hike. Ooh, isn't that, isn't that just delightful? Yeah, there's a huge pandemic on. The best thing and most important thing that we need to do is make sure that We give ourselves a pay rise. Okay, so let us let me just check in here with the old stream and see how you guys are doing. Nice to see everyone here. Um, is there anything that you guys wanted to mention before I go into a longer article that is probably the most important thing that I've talked about in this whole time? Anything else that you wanted to mention here? Come on, Steph. Communist countries are doing better than North America. Depends what you believe. They had it first. They had more control. And um, they are mono-ethnic in general, and therefore they can do things without the media calling everyone racist. All right. Communists do not care for individual human life. Well, they do, because you do need someone to torture, right? So, All right. Anything uh, crucial? 
Should we uh, should we check the numbers just before we go into the next thing? Let me just uh, let me just do that. Um, uh, chart. I was gonna I was gonna ask you guys for a chart here, but uh, the problem is, of course, it all goes by so fast. And yeah, these numbers, of course, are still going up. But what they're not doing is they're not doing this mad uh, doubling stuff. Oh, okay. So this is one that I used. It doesn't it feel like such a long time ago that this all started, right? I had so many plans for my winter and spring, and they've been entirely nuked by this stuff, right? So coronavirus cases, 304,030. Deaths, almost 13,000. Recovered, 94,674. So let's see here. We have our chart here. I know this. I was using these guys before. They had a chart kind of set up originally. Yeah, total cases here. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is as of yesterday. It's not looking good, guys. I mean, this this bump. They changed the methodology, so this little bump here. Uh, this number, this this line is not looking particularly good. And. Uh, Total deaths also not looking particularly good. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we've talked about doubling every every six days, right? And um, it's basically tripled since March the 6th, right? So what, March 6th minus 21, 15, two weeks in a day. So it's tripled. Uh, this is... Uh, this is not looking particularly great. It's not as bad as some people were anticipating. But uh, it's also not looking particularly fabulous. Now, China, new case is only 41. Uh, I don't know. I just don't know. And, of course, all of these are um, the pluses. Right? Of course, they would never be minuses because people aren't coming back to life or anything like that. Boy, wouldn't that be a great thing? Coronavirus causes zombies. But, uh, yeah, this, this kind of number, uh, these kinds of graphs, these are not looking particularly, particularly good. And... That's why, of course, this social isolation is really important. Now, I wanted to talk just a tiny smidge. Let me just turn this uh, off for just a sec here and uh, meet you in the middle of the screen, right? So uh, I just I wanted to talk for a minute or two just about the whole point of social isolation. So social isolation is not just so that you can enjoy the new Doom game. By the way, I was thinking of uh, doing a, a live stream of me trying out the new game because I do love that Doom franchise. Um, I hope that I never have to choose between my family and id software. That would be a that would be a tough call. But the the purpose behind social isolation is simply to slow the increase, to to slow the increase. Right. So look, this virus is going to go through the population. I mean, it's out. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. This virus is going to go through the population. The question is how rapidly. Now, the quicker the spike the more people are going to die. If you can slow down the spike to the point where you can buy yourself a week or two or three to prepare, to recalibrate. You know, China can go and build two hospitals, albeit rather shaky ones, in a very short amount of time. Italy can't pull that off. Again, it's a democracy. It's paralyzed by a wide variety of factors. There's lots of environmental building permits, legislation, regulation, multiculturalism, racism, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's paralyzed, right? It's, it's a giant... They're like um, in Gulliver's Travels, it's the giant that's held down by these tiny little threads of political correctness, which people voted in Trump and a lot of other politicians to try and burst through. And um, I guess it's kind of happening in a way. But 
the whole point is simply to slow the spike down so that there's A, time to prepare, and B, the medical system doesn't get overwhelmed. When the medical system gets overwhelmed, people are going to drop pretty, pretty fast and pretty hard. So that's the entire point of social isolation. It's not going to prevent the spread of this illness, thanks communism. What it's going to do is uh, it's going to give people a chance to gear up. It's going to give people a chance to uh, have it impact the medical system, not in a big overwhelming tsunami, but rather instead in a more manageable, slower kind of growth. All right. So I told you guys I had a long thing to go through here. This is important. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Don't panic. I just want to um, uh, get you guys up to speed on this stuff so that you can help people understand what is going on and why it is so absolutely necessary to, to do the right thing over the next little while. Okay. So this is written, or it's compiled by Thomas Pueyo, but it is the work of a very large number of people. And so here, what the next 18 months, this is what I talked about with uh, Cartel the other day, and uh, I hope that you guys will check out that. I'll put a link to that below. It's a very, very good interview. What the next 18 months, that was the time frame he was looking at, what the next 18 months can look like if leaders buy us time. Okay, so here... Right? Do nothing. Straight up, right? Mitigation. The hammer. It's, you know, I guess a baggy pants dancer from the 80s or whatever, but we'll get into that. And then the dance, right? So you want to bring down this number of cases to the point where it becomes manageable, right? Okay, strong, corino sorry, strong coronavirus measures today should only last a few weeks. Oops. There shouldn't be a big peak of infections afterwards, and it can all be done for reasonable cost to society, saving millions of lives along the way. If we don't take these measures, tens of millions will be infected, many will die, along with anyone else that requires intensive care because the healthcare system will have collapsed. I mean, I, this is a no-shit situation. Like, this is, I mean, you guys are living in history. I mean, we're all living in historical times. People will be writing about this as long as people put pen to paper. So uh, I guess you can... What's that old Chinese proverb? May you live in interesting times? Okay, this is what's important. Within a week, countries around the world have gone from this coronavirus thing is not a big deal to declaring the state of emergency. Yet many countries are still not doing much. Why? Every country is asking the same question. How should we respond? The answer is not obvious to them. Some countries, like France, Spain, or Philippines, have since ordered heavy lockdowns. Others, like the US, UK, Switzerland, or Netherlands, have dragged their feet hesitantly venturing into social distancing measures. So here's what we're going to cover and since we're going to cover it we will not need to go okay so he says what's the situation so last week i showed this curve coronavirus cases per country last week excluding china on 3 4 2020 okay so we're going to look at this whole thing we're going to zoom down in here to the bottom it showed coronavirus cases across the world outside of china we could only discern italy iran and south korea so i had to zoom in on the bottom right corner to see the emerging countries my entire point is that they would soon be joining these three cases let's see what's happened since that's the previous graph. And since, what has happened? He said, as predicted, the number of cases has exploded in dozens of countries. Here, I was forced to show only countries with over a 1,000 cases. A few things to note. Spain, Germany, France, and the U.S. have all more cases than Italy when it ordered the lockdown. An additional 16 countries have more cases today than Ubay when it went under lockdown. Japan, Malaysia, Canada, Portugal, Australia, Czechia, Brazil, and Qatar have more than Ubay but below 1,000 cases. Switzerland, Sweden, Norway, 
Austria, Belgium, Netherlands, and Denmark all have above 1,000 cases. Do you notice something weird about this list of countries outside of China and Iran, which have suffered massive, undeniable outbreaks, and Brazil and Brazil and Malaysia? Every single country in this list is among the wealthiest in the world. Look at that. Look at that. Do you think this virus targets rich countries, or is it more likely that rich countries are better able to identify the virus? You know, I haven't heard much, maybe you guys have, but I haven't heard much coming out of the two continents which I consider, two countries, one country, one continent, that I consider to be uh, a significant risk factor. Number one, of course, is India. Number two, Africa. India, with relatively unsanitary conditions, you can see pictures online of people bathing in cow shit to cure coronavirus and drinking, I think it's drinking or washing with cow urine. Um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty filthy country in many ways. And uh, of course, Africa, a very poor country, very backward, uh, very poor continent, very backward continent in many ways. And Africa has a big pro uh, problem without, doesn't have much of an established healthcare situation there. So I haven't heard much about that. But again, maybe it's spreading. There is, of course, the latency period, the, the period of not showing any symptoms, but still being infectious, which could last for weeks. So, so the virus is not just targeting rich countries. It's more likely that rich countries are better able to identify the virus. It's unlikely that poorer countries aren't touched. Warm and humid weather probably helps, but that doesn't pretend prevent an outbreak by itself. Otherwise, Singapore, Malaysia, or Brazil wouldn't be suffering outbreaks. So the, the coronavirus either took longer to reach the poorer countries because they're less connected, or it's already there, but they haven't invested enough in testing to know. So we'll We'll see about that. Okay, so let's look at the options because now we have laboratories of various countries and their various responses to coronavirus. So in one extreme, we have Spain and France. So this is the timeline of measures for Spain. On Thursday, the 12th of March, the president dismissed suggestions that the Spanish authorities had been underestimating the health threat. On Friday, they declared the state of emergency. On Saturday, measures were taken. So people can't leave home except for key reasons, groceries, work, pharmacy, hospital, bank, or insurance company extreme justification. Specific ban on taking kids out for a walk or seeing friends or family, except to take care of people who need help, but with hygiene and physical distance measures. All bars and restaurants are closed, only take-home acceptable. I don't know, maybe I'm missing something there, but it seems to me that take-home would still be pretty damn risky. All entertainment closed, sports, movies, museums, muni municipal celebrations. Weddings can't have guests, funerals can't have more than a handful of people, mass transit remains open. In Spain on Monday, land borders were shut. Some people see this as a great list of measures. Others put up their hands and put their hands up in the air and cry of despair. This difference is what this article will try to reconcile. France's timeline of measures is similar, except they took more time to apply them, and they are more aggressive now. All right. Let me just check in here in the chat. Oh, look at that. So great to see you guys uh, coming by to get this information. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And please, please spread it as much as you can. All right. Again, links will all be below. So in France, rent, taxes, and utilities are suspended for small businesses. Well, uh, property taxes should be massively slashed because the schools are closed. Measures in the U.S. and U.K. Now, the U.S. and U.K., like countries such as Switzerland or Netherlands, have dragged their feet in implementing measures. Here's the timeline for the U.S. Wednesday. 11th of March, travel ban. Friday, national emergency declared. No social distancing measures. Monday, the government urges the public to avoid restaurants or bars and attend events with more than 10 people. No social distancing measure is actually enforceable. It's just a suggestion. Lots of states and cities are taking the initiative of mandating such much stricter measures. The UK 
has seen a similar set of measures, lots of recommendations, but very few mandates. Now, again, some of this may have changed. The article is a day and a half old. So, Okay, so the two extreme approaches, mitigation and suppression. Let's understand what they mean. So before we do that, let's see what doing nothing would entail for a country like the U.S. All right, this is really, really important. Look, look, look at this chart. Um, I'm sorry I can't step further back and make this bigger. Let's make this uh, you know, go right over to the corner here, right? Make this as big as possible. All right. Uh, and I'm sorry I haven't had the courage to stream at 1080p yet, but uh, we're still kicking around at 720. All right. So infections and deaths if we do nothing in the U.S. Now look at this. Look at this. Day zero, first death, right? Look at the number of infections, over 25 million, and look at the total dead is greater than 10 million. Look at this chart. This is not some conspiracy site. This is very well-vetted data. It's impossible to know, of course, this stuff with any degree of absolutism. But this is the, the likely scenario if nothing is done, if you do business as usual, right? All right. <sighs> so I will... Um, and this is assuming that the fatality rate is only 4% because of the healthcare system collapse. But if you look at this, of course, there's no, there's no possible way the healthcare system in America could... You got, what, almost 14 million hospitalizations? Come on. I mean, that's completely ridiculous, right? So if we do nothing in America, everyone gets infected, the healthcare system gets overwhelmed, the mortality explodes, and about 10 million people die. For the back of the envelope numbers, if 75% of Americans get infected and 4% die... That's 10 million deaths, or around 25 times the number of U.S. deaths in World War II. What was that, 400,000? Anyway, you might wonder, that sounds like a lot. I've heard much less than that. So what's the catch? Okay, there's only two numbers that matter. One, what share of people will catch the virus and call sick and fall sick? And what share of them will die? Right. So if only 25% are sick because the others have the virus but don't have symptoms so aren't counted as cases, the fatality rate is 0.6% instead of 4% and you only end up with 500,000 deaths in the U.S. So, if you don't do anything, the number of actual deaths probably land between these two numbers. The chasm between these extremes is mostly driven by the fatality rate, so understanding it is really, really important. Okay, so, look at this. Hospitalized coronavirus patients versus system capacity. Okay? So, the light blue area is the number of people who would need to go to the hospital, and the dark blue represents those who need to go to the intensive care unit, right? So look at these numbers. This is astounding. The number of people who need to go to hospital is well north of 12 million, right? The number of people who need intensive care unit is mad, right? It's above 3 million people. Now, how many ICU beds are there in the U.S.? Well, 50,000. Look at this dotted line. This is the ICU beds versus the ICU patients versus hospitalized patients. Do you understand? 50,000 into 3 million. 50,000 into 3 million. That is mad, right? Now, he's saying 50,000, you could double that by repurposing other spaces. You've got your stadiums, you've got your school gyms, a variety of other things, which you can see happening in China and other places. So this bottom red dotted line, man, this is the ICU beds available. And if you do nothing, 
That is it, right? So these ICU patients, they can't get into ICU, they can't get intubated, they can't get ventilators, they can't get the oxygen that they need. I mean, a lot of them are going to be toast, right? There are fewer than 100,000 ventilators in the U.S. As of today, at least, well, this a couple of days ago, at least one Seattle hospital is unable to intubate patients over 65 due to shortages of equipment, and that gives them a 90% chance of dying. A 90% chance of dying without a ventilator. There's less than 100,000 ventilators. Oh, but you need over, well, you've got over 3 million people who need in the ICU. Oh, come on. That's terrible. Right? This is why people died so much in Ubay are dying in Italy and Iran. The Ubay fatality rate ended up better than it could have been because they built two hospitals nearly overnight. Italy and Iran can't do the same. Well, of course they could. Well, Italy could. Iran is not a very uh, high IQ country, and cousin marriage is depressing the IQ, but Italy is a smart country, and they could, right? But uh, they're not. So why is the fatality rate close to 4%? Okay, if 5% of your cases require intensive care and you can't provide it, most of those people die. It's as simple as that. You understand? The danger is not the coronavirus in particular. The danger is the overwhelming of the healthcare system as the result of mass infection, which leads to an enormous number of deaths. Recent data suggests that the U.S. cases are more severe than in China. Uh, could be a wide variety of reasons for that. But Dr. Cartel on my show, uh, he's not a medical doctor, just a, he's got a doctorate, but um, uh, he was saying that uh, the issue is that Americans are just very unhealthy. And Chinese people, while they smoke a lot, uh, I think 50% of the men smoke there, it's only a couple of percent of women, but um, they're not uh, obese, they don't have massive heart disease. I mean, it's just not a lot of diabetes and so on, right? It's a slender group, right? Partly genetic, partly their diet. Oh, let's not talk about the Chinese diet. Okay, so these numbers only show people dying from coronavirus, but what happens if all your healthcare system is collapsed by coronavirus patients? Others die from other ailments. What happens if you have a heart attack, but the ambulance takes 50 minutes to come instead of eight because there are too many coronavirus cases? And once you arrive, there's no ICU and no doctor available. Well, what happens? You die. There are 4 million admissions to the ICU in the U.S. every year, and 500,000, or about 13% of them, die. Without ICU beds, that share would likely go much closer to 80%. Even if only 50% died, in a year-long epidemic, you go from 500,000 deaths a year to 2 million. So you're adding 1.5 million deaths just with collateral damage. Now, of course, this is not, there's not just the personal horror and tragedy and loss and grieving of people dying, but a lot of these people would have um, significant positive impacts in the economy. They're out there, entrepreneurs, they're out there working, they're contributing to the economy, and boom, they're just erased and dropped down to the gaping shock more of history. Like that can happen that quickly. If the coronavirus is left to spread, the U.S. healthcare system will collapse and the deaths will be in the millions, maybe more than 10 million. The same thinking is true for most countries. The number of ICU beds and ventilators and healthcare workers are usually similar to the U.S. or lower in most countries. Right? Unbridled. Coronavirus, healthcare system collapse, mass death. Again, not primarily from the coronavirus, which is relatively treatable. If you get to the ICU, you get your ventilators, you get your intubators, you get all of that. As it messes up your lungs, right? You get the oxygen, you're okay, right? Okay, so mitigation strategy. What do they say? Okay. 
This is the strategy. It's impossible to prevent the coronavirus now, so let's just have it run its course while trying to reduce the peak of infections. Let's just flatten the curve a little bit to make it more manageable for the healthcare system. Yet, no. Yet, no. Okay, so this is critical care beds occupied per 100,000 of the population, right? Very, very low, of course, before this comes along. Okay, so do nothing is the black line, I guess quite appropriately, right? And um, I'm trying to figure out, okay, this is a bit, uh, not, the most, uh, not the most clear graph that I've ever seen. Um, so the green here, closing schools and universities brings it down to some degree. Case isolation brings it down to some degree. Case isolation and household quarantine. And then down here, case isolation, home quarantine, social distancing of those who are 70 or older. Okay. So this was a, an important paper published over the weekend from the Imperial College of London. It pushed the U.S. and U.K. governments to change course. So do nothing is the black curve. Overwhelming, right? And this is what you can do. Now, the red line down here, this is the capacity for the ICU. Now, this, of course, is only one way. This is the challenge, right? Is that like the Black Death, uh, like a wide variety, uh, uh, like the 1918 Spanish flu actually originated in China. No, I'm not, I'm not going to stop saying that. I think Wikipedia has changed that, of course, because Wikipedia is communist garbage. But... Um, like the 1918-1919 Spanish flu, it comes in waves. It comes in waves. And the mutational possibilities are significant because RNA mutates like 100 times more than DNA. 100 times faster. Or I guess it's the same thing, right? Okay, so... By flattening the curve, it's going to, it's going to help, right? So you, you should be shocked. When you hear, we're going to do some mitigation, what you should really hear is, what you'd, you should really hear is we will knowingly overwhelm the healthcare system, driving the fatality rate up by a factor of 10 times at least. Okay, so now in the UK, they've even talked about infecting people to get herd immunity. Okay. The idea is that all the people who are infected and then recover are now immune to the virus. It's at the core of the strategy. And it goes like this. Look, I know it's going to be hard for some time, but once we're done and a few million people die, the rest of us will be immune to it. So this virus will stop spreading and we'll say goodbye to the coronavirus. Better do it at once and be done with it. Because our alternative is to do social distancing for up to a year and risk having this peak happen later anyways. This assumes one thing, that the virus isn't going to change too much. Now, sure, if the virus doesn't change too much, then people who are infected and get better, they do get immunity. But at some, And then at some point, the epidemic is going to die, die down. But, and I talked about this a week or two ago, how likely is this virus to mutate? Well, the answer is yes, highly, because it already has. Emerging research suggests China has already seen two strains of the virus, the S and the L. The S was focused in Ubay and deadlier, but the L was the one that spread through the world. Not only that, but this virus continues to mutate. And uh, I'm not even going to pretend to know what's going on in this lower intestine map that's going along here. RNA-based viruses like the coronavirus or the flu tend to mutate around 100 times faster than DNA-based ones, although the coronavirus mutates more slowly than influenza viruses, right? So, you know, when you get a flu shot, they're just kind of guessing what the virus is going to uh, look like. They don't know. It's mutating, right? The best way for this virus to mutate is to have millions of opportunities to do so, which is exactly what a mitigation strategy would provide. Hundreds of millions of people infected, right? The more people get infected, the more virus grows and spreads and it's going to mutate and all that. That's why you have to get a flu shot every year, blah, blah, blah. 
they never protect against all strains because the flu is always mutating, right? And that's just one of these terrible, tragic facts that we need to deal with because, well, because the communist dictatorship in China suppressed the um, reality of what was going on. And this is why we're shafted. At some point, people would just wake up to the dangers of communism. I've been talking about it for 30 years, but... Um, well, as I've always said, people either learn by reason, they learn from their philosophers, or they have to learn through bitter experience. There's, there's, no, there's no option three. So the suppression strategy. So the mitigation strategy doesn't try to contain the epidemic, just flatten the curve a bit. But the suppression strategy tries to apply heavy measures to quickly get the epidemic under control. Specifically, go hard right now, order heavy social distancing, get this thing under control. Then, Release the measures so that people can gradually get back to their freedoms and something approaching normal social and economic life can resume. What does this look like? Chart 7. I'm sorry about this, man. Particularly if you're watching this on a cell phone. Uh, I don't know. Get a 4K TV. Um, doesn't make me look good, but the important thing is you get, you get the data in this chart, right? I don't think this thing allows for a zoom in. No, it doesn't. All right. Okay. So the axis, we're, we're, we're peaking out of 40,000 here right? It's not in the tens of millions, it's in the tens of thousands. This is with a suppression strategy, a very strong isolationist, interrupt everything. Look at these infections and total dead is about 4,000 as opposed to in the million. I don't know what to say. I mean, obviously, this is, uh, this is why I'm spending time on this article, because you really do need to understand this. Okay, there we go. So under a suppression strategy, after the first wave is done, the death toll is in the thousands and not in the million. Why? Because not only do we cut the exponential growth of cases, we also cut the fatality rate because the healthcare system is not overwhelmed. There are ICU beds, there are ventilators, there are intubators that can happen, right? So this guy uses a fatality rate of less than 1%, 0.9%, around what we're seeing in South Korea today, which has been the most effective at following suppression strategy. South Korea, high IQ country and mono-ethnic, right? So... Everyone should follow the suppression strategy. So why do some governments hesitate? They fear three things. This first lockdown will last for months, which seems unacceptable for many people. Two, a months-long lockdown would destroy the economy. Really? Compared to what? The basic question in philosophy. Compared to what? Compared to 10 million dead? You think that might have a bit of an effect on the economy? The free ride is over. The surfing on free money, the surfing on no problems is over. Reality, nature has reasserted itself. We wanted a world with no borders. We wanted a world where we forgave communists. We wanted a world where we shipped all of our manufacturing over to a dictatorship that hates us, frankly. <laughs> well. Sorry, I'll try and keep myself on track. Three, it wouldn't even solve the problem because we'd just be postponing the epidemic. Later on, once we realized that social distancing measures... Once we release, sorry, the social distancing measures, people will still get infected in the millions and die. Okay, so here's how the Imperial College team models suppressions. The green and the yellow lines are different scenarios of suppression. You can see that one doesn't look good. We still get huge peaks, so why bother? Okay, so this is um, do nothing, right? And this is, uh, this is the waves, right? Yeah, this is April to November, so this is the, this is the wave, right? So do nothing, you get a big spike now, uh, and then those who were those who survive, I shouldn't laugh, right? But those who survived, 
well, you're okay, right? But if you um, do a case isolation, household quarantine, and general social distancing, you get a little spike now, more of a spike later, but it's not quite as bad. And, and if you get so school and university closure, case isolation, I'm sorry, case isolation. Sorry, I'm sorry. Let me just let me start this again. I got, I got a little lost. Uh, I had a couple of demons pull my thoughts in another direction, but I've tamped them down in my brain. All right, go back here. Do nothing. You get a big surge right now and then herd immunity, right? And then let's look at school and university closure, case isolation, general social distancing. Not much now, big surge later. If we look at this uh, orangey line, case isolation, household quarantine, and general social distancing, not much now, big surge later. School and university closure, case isolation, and general social distancing, straight like not much now, big spike later, right? Okay, so presented like these, the two options of mitigation and suppression side by side don't look very appealing. Either a lot of people die soon and we don't hurt the economy today, or we hurt the economy today just to postpone the deaths. This ignores the value of time. You have months to prepare for the second green spike if you take significant measures now. That's important, right? <sighs> every day, every hour, we waited to take measures. This exponential threat continued spreading. We saw how a single day could reduce the total cases by 40% of the death toll by even more, but time is even more valuable than that. We're about to face the biggest wave of pressure on the healthcare system ever seen in history. We are completely unprepared facing an enemy we don't know. This is not a good position for war. What if you were about to face your worst enemy, of which you knew very little, and you had two options. Either you run towards it or you escape to buy yourself a bit of time to prepare. Which one would you choose? So every day we delay the coronavirus, we can get better prepared. So let's figure out what that time will buy us. Um, sorry, I'm just rapidly curious. Yeah, we did peak over 5K. Okay, good. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Um, I'm glad that you're here. I'm very glad that you're here, and I'm very glad that you're watching. And uh, let's let's go save a couple of million lives together, shall we? That's not a bad way to spend your day. Okay, so with effective suppression, the number of true, true cases would plummet overnight, as we saw in Ubay last week. So look at this suppression strategy in Ubay, right? So you get the lockdown January 23rd. Uh, January 25th, that's when I called it China's Chernobyl and started referring to it as a pandemic. And this is why I've been following it so closely these last couple of months, putting other things in my life aside because there's projects I want to do, but I really genuinely believe we get this information out there, millions of lives will be saved. So in Ubay, when they did the lockdown, the number of new cases immediately plummeted and there's a 12-day delay between lockdown and peak in official cases and those start to come down as well. And I believe it goes much further back than December. But anyway, as of today, again, grain of salt time, there are zero daily new cases of coronavirus in the entire 60 million big region of Ubay. The diagnostics would keep going up for a couple of weeks, but then they would start going down. With fewer cases, the fatality rate starts dropping too, and the collateral damage is also reduced. Fewer people would die from non-coronavirus-related causes because the healthcare system is simply overwhelmed. So suppression. Right, not just mitigation, suppression, right, the strongest one. Fewer cases, immediate relief for the healthcare system, and of course the people who run it, you can't just burn out people. I mean, what are we, a software company? You can't just buy and burn people. You can't just have nurses working 24 hours and three hours sleep and working again. They get sick. Their immune system gets compromised by exhaustion. You can't just buy and burn people out. Reduction in fatality rate, reduction in collateral damage, ability for infected, isolated, and quarantined healthcare workers to get 
better and get back to work. In Italy, healthcare workers represent 8% of all contagions, right? Because there's the general population, and then there's the people in the hospital breathing the same air, walking the same corridors, even with mitigation measures which are in place, if they're even available. If you don't run out of masks, you have to wear the same damn mask every day, which is not particularly helpful. The healthcare workers get wiped out, and you need to hire more. You need to set up rotation shifts. You need to get people prepared, and you need to get better protection equipment, which you can get if you push the spike down the road. Okay, so right now, the UK and the US have no idea about their true cases. We don't know how many there are. We just know the official number is not right, and the true one is in the tens of thousands of cases. This has happened because we're not testing and we're not tracing. With a few more weeks, we could get our testing situation in order and start testing everybody. With that information, we would finally know the true extent of the problem, where we need to be more aggressive, and what communities are safe to be released from a lockdown. New testing methods could speed up testing, drive down costs substantially, could set up a tracing operation they have in China, other East Asian countries. I think it's happening in um, Israel as well. Put them in quarantine. ton of intelligence to release later on our social distancing measures. If we know where the virus is, we can target those places only. Not rocket science, basis of how East Asia countries have been able to control this outbreak without the kind of draconian social distancing that is increasingly essential in other countries. And we could also get social media companies to start giving anonymous aggregate data to the CDC for people who are searching for symptoms or, or searching for cures or, you know, you could just kind of trace that uh, or my friend is sick or what do I do or waiting times at emergency for whatever, right? I mean, you could do a lot of aggregate searches. Again, I'm not saying dox anyone's data, but you could get some great aggregates going on, right? And with those great aggregates going on, without compromising people's data, you could save people's lives. I'm not a big fan for this kind of sniffy-sniff stuff, but, uh, you know, emergencies are emergencies. All right. The U.S. and presumably the U.K. are about to go to war without armor. Their masks are just two weeks. Few personal protective equipments. Not enough ventilators. Not enough ICU beds. Not enough blood oxygenation machines. This is why the fatality rate would be so high in a mitigation strategy where you get the spike now without preparation. If we buy ourselves some time, turn this thing around. More time to buy equipment that you're going to need. Build up the production of masks, personal protective equipment, ventilators, ECMOs, these blood oxygenation machines, any other critical device to reduce fatality rate. We don't need years to get our armor. We need weeks. Let's do everything we can to get our production humming now. Countries are mobilized. 3D printing is being used for ventilator parts. <laughs> Faxing is saving lives, right? Again, now you're going to wait a few weeks to get yourself some armor before facing a mortal enemy. You need new healthcare workers. You've got to train people to assist nurses. You need to get medical workers out of retirement. And um, you, you've got, you can do that in a few weeks, but you can't if everything collapses. Okay. So... Let's, uh, we can skip over the, some of this stuff. And again, I'm, I don't want to go the whole thing, right? Okay, so the speed of coronavirus research, very, very important. Of course, some of the best minds in the world are hard at work on this problem. And um, look at this, right? January to um, late February, preprints not peer-reviewed. Look at the number of studies going up, right? The world is finally united against a common enemy. Researchers around the goal, I guess Paul Krugman said, we'll only unite when aliens come by, but turns out it's the communist virus. So researchers around the globe are mobilizing to understand this virus better, and that's good. 
What if you get new treatments in the few, next few weeks, right? There are some candidates right now. What if in two months there's a, a, a treatment? What if all the deaths are behind you and then you find a treatment? Talk about locking the barn door after the horse has left, right? So that's important as well. You've got to push this stuff off to get prepared, right? So there's all cost benefits now. So just, you know, ripping the Band-Aid off isn't so great if your arm comes off with it too, right? So the hammer and the dance, let's get to this. So the mitigation strategy is probably a terrible choice. The suppression strategy has a massive short-term advantage to bring the cases down, to bring the infections down so that the tsunami doesn't take out the sandcastle of the healthcare system, right? How long will it actually last? How expensive will it be? Second peak, you know, it sort of reminds me of... uh, Something happened here in Canada a couple of years ago. Um, the um, Canadian healthcare system just refused some treatment for some guy saying it was too expensive, so he ended up spending money and getting it done elsewhere and survived. Like, really not much more exp- Like, burn up your money to stay alive. I don't really understand why that's such a big, a big problem, right? Okay, so the hammer. You act quickly and aggressively. And you quench this thing as soon as possible. So look at this. Do nothing. Straight up, man. Doom. Doom. Millions and millions dead. Mitigation? Uh, well, yeah, quite a lot of people dead, and, uh, but less of a second spike. Suppression? You keep it down right now. Keep it down right now. Give people time to prepare. Days and weeks mean everything in this kind of situation, right? Now, how long will this last? The fear that everyone has, we're going to be locked inside our homes for months at a time. In economic disasters, mental breakdowns, panic attacks, you name it, right? And this, uh, the famous Imperial College paper, is uh, sort of uh, sort of important, right? The light blue area goes from the end of March to the end of August. And that's the hammer, initial suppression that includes heavy social distancing. So if you're a politician and you see that one option is to let hundreds of thousands or millions of people die with a mitigation strategy, and the other is to stop the economy for five months before going through the same peak of causes of cases and deaths that don't sound like compelling options, but they don't need to be. There are a lot of core flaws, right? This paper. They ignore contact tracing at the core of policies in South Korea, China, or Singapore, among others, or travel restrictions critical in China. Ignore the impact of big crowds. The time needed for this hammer is weeks, not months. It's weeks, not months. Right. So look at this graph. This graph shows the new cases in the entire Ubay region, 60 million people every day since the 23rd of January. Within two weeks, the country was starting to get back to work. Within five weeks, it was completely under control. Within seven weeks, the new diagnostics was just a trickle. This was the worst region in China. Now, again, how accurate all of these numbers are, nobody knows. For sure, we may never know. But let's just go with the numbers that we have, right? And these are the orange bars. The gray bars, which are the true cases, had plummeted much earlier. And this is uh, chart nine. We can go, you can go back there if you want or just look at it in more, more detail, right? So... The measures they took were pretty similar to the ones taken in Italy, Spain, or France. Isolations, quarantines, people had to stay home unless there was an emergency or had to buy food, contact tracing, testing, more hospital beds, travel ban. But the details are important. So China's measures were even stronger. People were limited to one person per household allowed to leave home every three days to buy food. Also, their enforcement was severe. You saw the videos. I published them. People being pulled off the streets. It is likely that the severity stopped the epidemic faster. In Italy, France, and Spain, measures were not as drastic and their implementation is not as tough. People still walk on the streets, many without masks. This is likely to result in a slower hammer, more time to fully control the epidemic. 
Some people interpret this as, well, democracies will never be able to replicate this reduction in cases. That is incorrect. South Korea, right? So look at this. For several weeks, South Korea had the worst epidemic outside of China. Now, it's largely under control, and they did it without asking people to stay home. They achieved it mostly with very aggressive testing, contact tracing, and enforced quarantines and isolations. And again, high IQ society, um, a great sense of social honor and social shaming. I mean, think of Japan, right? So Japan, if you don't pay a debt, a guy dressed in a yellow tracksuit will just follow you around. Man, that's it. <laughs> that's their debt collection strategy in some cases, right? Guy, guy in a yellow tracksuit will follow you around. But it's so uh, shaming for them, right? So there's a lot of horizontal social enforcement through a nonviolent uh, means, right? And that's kind of important, right? But, but it requires on the honor and decency and compassion and empathy of the general population. And... Um, the media is going to just try and turn us against each other, of course, right? I mean, they really are, um, well, they're, they're just getting people killed um, enormously. So so um, if an outbreak like South Korea's can be controlled in weeks without mandated social distancing, Western countries, which are already applying a heavy hammer with strict social distancing measures, can definitely control the outbreak within weeks. It's a matter of discipline, execution, and how much the population abides by the rules. Okay, that depends on the toughness of the phase. After the hammer, the hammer is just... <laughs> Stop the spread in its tracks, the dance, right? If you hammer the coronavirus within a few weeks, you've controlled it, and you're in much better shape to address it. Now comes the longer-term effort to keep the virus contained until there's a vaccine, right? Today, three to seven weeks, boom, the hammer, right? Just stay away from each other, stay away from people, stay home. You know, I, I'm, somebody made a joke. Uh, I did a live stream, of course, as I've been doing them almost daily about this issue. And I said, hey, man, you're, you, the way that you save thousands of lives is you stay home and play Xbox. Like, that's what's being called upon. You don't have to go to war. You don't have to sit yourself in a trench and get your ass blown off by a World War One shell while rats gnaw off your half-frozen toes. You just got to stay home and play Xbox. And one, one guy commented back says, I've been preparing for this battle my whole life. You know, good to have a sense of humor about these things sometimes. So... The hammer can be three to seven weeks. Now, the dance, so, so you cut the virus growth, understand the true cases, you recruit your personnel while you've got time, you improve the treatments, you get proper testing and tracing, you release healthcare system pressure, you build capacity and production in the healthcare system, and then once you've crushed that down, you've got the dance. You've got to keep your R0, your, your reproduction rate below one. Proper testing, contact tracing, quarantining, isolation, public education on hygiene and social distancing, you ban your large gatherings, well, I guess Elizabeth Warren could still have her rallies, but uh, most restrictions removed, tighten up when needed, apply highest cost benefit social distancing measures. And that's it, right? Just buying time until you've got some sort of vaccine or at least something that can cure, right? So when you're thinking about this hammer, you're thinking about like, I mean, I had this guy on who said, and I said, prepare for 18 months, not stay home for 18 months, prepare for an 18 month cycle until the last wave is done, right? But we're talking three to seven weeks. We're not talking six months, 12 months, or anything like that. So if you can get through the hammer three to seven weeks, your life probably going to go back to normal, right? And there's a whole video here. South Korean foreign minister explains how her country did it. Pretty simple, efficient testing, efficient tracing, travel bans, efficient isolating, and efficient quarantining. So a Singapore, same as Korea, South Korea, and so on. And so if you apply this hammer, you're getting a new chance, a new shot at doing it right. Okay, what if these measures aren't enough? So 
I called a month long, this guy says, I called a month long period between the hammer and a vaccine or effective treatment to dance. There won't be a period during which measures are always the same harsh ones. You're going to get regions bubbling up. You're going to get stuff that's going to go quite calm. There's going to be a dance between humanity and the virus. Who's going to win? Uh, and the transmission rate, right? So early on, in a standard unprepared country, the transmission rate is somewhere between two and three. During the few weeks that somebody is infected, they infect between two and three people on average. I've heard, of course, and talked about it earlier, being as high as four or even eight, but this seems to be the data, right? If R is above one, infections grow exponentially into an epidemic. If it's below one, they die down. Like even 1.1. It's just a slower curve, right? During the hammer, the goal is to get R really close to zero as fast as possible. That's what this distancing measures are closing the borders, the staying home, shutting things down. You've got to get the R to zero as fast as possible to quench this horrible, skyrocketing exponential growth. In Wuhan, it was calculated the R was initially 3.9. After the lockdown and centralized quarantine, it went down to 0.32. Good. So once you move into the dance, you just need your R to stay below, your reproduction rate to stay below one. And um, yeah, it's tough, you know? I mean, businesses can go down, get toast. There's not enough. The government has not saved anything either. People are thought, oh, well, the people haven't saved anything. But government, governments should have a giant war chest with this kind of thing. But of course, in the ever-predatory hunger fest of um, sucking up government resources called modern Western democracies. They've vampired the state dry, and the state is more than happy to buy votes using funny money. And now there's nothing in the kitty for this kind of stuff, and hopefully we'll learn our damn lesson for once. It's so frustrating to be predicting this stuff for decades. Not this particular instance, but the need for this kind of stuff. Uh, so anyway. All right. Here's an approximation of how different types of patients respond to the virus, as well as how contagious they are. Okay. So um, 30% asymptomatic, no symptoms. Mild to moderate, no symptoms, symptoms mild to moderate, and then they recover. Severe 10%, no symptoms, then symptoms are severe, they have to go into hospitalization, and then they recover. Critical 4%, no symptoms. The symptoms are severe, they go to hospitalization, and then they need ventilation and ICU, and then uh, they, they die. Right? So these are the transmission rates. So in this area, 2.5 contagions, right? So the people who are asymptomatic, as you can see, are infecting more people in many ways, right? Because they are out there in the world spraying their joyful commie virus all over the place. So, of course, nobody knows this true shape of the curve. So every day after they contract the virus, people have some contagion potential, right? This is the 2.5 contagions on Average. It is believed that there are some contagions already happening during the no symptoms phase. As symptoms grow, usually people go to the doctor, get diagnosed, and their contagiousness diminishes, right? So when you have the virus but no symptoms, you behave as normal. You speak with people, you spread the virus, you touch your nose, and then open a doorknob. Next people to open the doorknob and touch their nose get infected. The more, I mean, when I'm going out, I'm wearing, like, gloves, like, everywhere I go so that I remember, right? I'm a bit of a face toucher. <laughs> Not as bad as AOC, but a bit of a face toucher. So the more the virus is growing inside you, the more infectious you are. You start having symptoms, you stop going to work, you stay in bed, you wear a mask, start going to the doctor, and then hopefully you stop or at least reduce your spread of the virus. Once you're hospitalized, even if you are very contagious, you don't tend to spread the virus as much since you're isolated. So if people are massively tested, they can be identified even before they have symptoms. And you quarantine them, they can't spread anything. If people are trained to identify their symptoms earlier, they reduce the number of days 
in blue, right, to that overall contagiousness, right, this, this thing up here. If people are isolated, as soon as they have symptoms, the contagions from the orange phase disappear, right? This is the symptoms, but not necessarily isolated. If people are educated about personal distance, mask wearing, washing hands, or disinfecting spaces, they spread less virus throughout the entire period. Only when all these fail do we need heavier social distancing measures, right? So the return on investment of social distances. If, with all these measures, if, sorry, I don't want that word, let's try it again. If, with all these measures, we're still way above reproduction rate of one, we need to reduce the average number of people that each person meets. Cheap ways to do that. Banning events with more than a certain number of people, maybe 50, maybe 500, or asking people to work from home when they can. Much more expensive, economic and social and ethical. You close schools and universities, asking everyone to stay home or closing businesses. And... Um, Here's, so we have, this is great, like, sorry, <laughs> start again. It's a long, long presentation, but this is uh, super important stuff. Oh, there's that super again. Okay, so you get a bonus for warm and humid weather, a bonus for lower than average population density, aggressive testing, hand washing and sanitizing, public education, contact tracing, temperature checkpoints, and so on, right? At some point, at some point, you're going to get to a reproduction rate below one. Right? Sports closed, bars and restaurants closed, schools and universities closed, most non-urgent services closed. Ask people to remain home except for food and urgent services. Close groceries and urgent services. It's like you, you keep doing more and more restrictions until you get to reproduction rate below one. Because that's the only way you're going to get a handle on this thing. Right? This is all the stuff that could happen. Everyone thinks that this whole thing has to be done. We don't know. It also depends, of course, how intelligent people are about this stuff, how honorable they are about it. This is where virtue saves life. This is where virtue... And listen, you got to be bullies. Like, I'm telling you this straight up, my friends. you got to be in people's faces about this stuff. If they're going to unnecessary social events, if they're just rambling around, if they want to go to spring break and so on, like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not saying chain them to the basement, because that would be wrong. But, uh, you know, get in their faces. You know, I've always argued that social ostracism is how we should be running society, rather than having this big, giant government that um, gets everything wrong, pretty much. But ostracism is a very powerful thing, man. Just uh, say to people, hey, uh, look, if you go to this concert, I'm not hanging with you, man. You're, you're off my list. You are, <laughs> I'm socially distancing myself. Just get in people's faces. Obviously, don't scream at them, don't abuse them, but be very, very firm. This is kind of up to you. If you have people, you know, IQ is a big bell curve, right? You've got to have people in your life. They're just not that smart. They're just not going to take things seriously. Hopefully, they'll take you seriously. Really put your foot down, man. Be absolutely firm with people. I personally, I'm not going to be friends with someone who's going to go and put people's lives at risk for the sake of some stupid thing. Like, oh, I want to go to the mall. I want to go to a concert. It's like, mm. no, no, no. I mean, this, come on. This is showing a functional and fundamental lack of empathy, lack of concern for your fellow human beings. Why would you want someone like that in your life? Shock them into doing the right thing if you have to. Okay, so this is a made-up chart and all that kind of stuff, right? So in Ubay, they were able to get the reproduction rate down to 0.32, which is good, which is really, really good. So it's a very, very complex, and you can look at this in more, uh, more detail. There's a variety of cost benefits that you can look at and talk about this, right? So the coronavirus is still spreading nearly everywhere. 152 countries have cases. We're running against the clock. We don't need to be. He says there's a clear way we can be thinking about this. So... If you haven't been hit as a country yet by the coronavirus, 
uh, is this going to happen to me? Yeah, it probably already has, right? Because there's this latency period, right? Where you're infectious, but you don't have any, any symptoms necessarily, right? So what are you going to do? Are you going to go the mitigation route? You create a massive epidemic, overwhelm the healthcare system, drive the death of millions of people, and release new mutations of this virus into the wild. This could come in wave after wave. You've got to remember, the Black Death Man was wave after wave after wave, decade after decade after decade. Countries can fight. They can lock down for a few weeks to buy us time, create an educated action plan, and control the virus until a vaccine has been made. We're almost done here, my friends. I'll take a couple of questions. I really appreciate everyone's attention. Please, please spread this information. Just spread the sources if you don't want to spread this video. Governments around the world today, including some such as the US, the UK, Switzerland, or Netherlands, have so far chosen the mitigation path. Eh, that is a bad idea. Giving up without a fight. They see other countries that have successfully fought this, and they say, well, we can't do that. And what if Churchill had said the same thing? Nazis are already everywhere in Europe. We can't fight them. Let's just give up. That's what many governments around the world are doing today. They're not giving you the chance to fight this. You have to demand it. Millions of lives are at stake, my friends. Share this article or any similar one if you think it can change people's opinions. Leaders need to understand that to avert a catastrophe, the moment to act is now. If you agree with this article and want the U.S. government to take action, please sign the White House petition to implement a hammer and dance suppression strategy. And um, I will, uh, I guess, get out of my corner box here. And should I put, uh, you know, for those of you who aren't going to stick around for the sort of closing questions and comments, I'm going to put this article into the chat uh, in YouTube. There it is. I don't think I can pin it, but please go and check that. And uh, let's just have a... Uh, a little bit, a little bit of a chat here, because I, you know, I can read articles, I can comment on them, but you know, the value that I think that I bring is, is, well, hopefully, I bring is philosophy. That's kind of the gig, right? So, this is life and death. Millions of people's lives hang in the balance. That is an exciting time to be alive, and we, of course, want to do everything that we can to keep the growth down of this virus, to buy time, to not overwhelm the healthcare system, and to give the reproduction rate a chance to cool down to give ourselves the capacity to build up the resources that we need to fight this thing. This is a moment in history where the actions that you make can have such an enormous impact that if you really follow this through, I'm really trying to guard your conscience ferociously, my friend. I'm trying to guard your conscience ferociously. If you go out, you will probably be in contact with or spreading this virus. You don't want to be doing that because there will be people you'll see on television, on the internet, who are dying. And there will be a little part of you, little part of you, that little conscience, that voice, what Socrates called his daemon. There's going to be that little part of you that's going to say, did I do that? And whatever little transitory pleasure you took from whatever it was you were doing will be buried under a significant regret. Don't do that. If you allow other people, like what if you have a friend who's just kind of goofy, just kind of unserious? Hey, we're all mortal. Yeah, yeah, everyone says that when they're young. But once you've got that double barrel of death's testicles in your face, it's a whole different matter, right? But you got to hammer that guy. You got to say, no, 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 come on. This is not the time. Put that stuff aside. 
because we have a moment here in human history where we can stop being petty. We can stop being frivolous and ridiculous. I mean, look, sports is shut down in America and other places. Do you really miss it? Do you really, really miss all of the inconsequential crap that you used to do, that I used to do? This is a moment where life and seriousness and maturity and adulthood have come calling at the castles of our emptiness with a battering ram, and they're going to get in. This is a chance where we can commit to having conversations with people we love. We're home with them anyway. Put down the tablets. Not right now. <laughs> when I'm done, put down the tablets. Have conversations with people about important things. It is a time to deepen and enrich our experience of what it is to be human. That's what death does. And you know when it normally does it? People live frivolous lives. There's an old saying that most men, most people, live lives of quiet desperation. It's very true. This black cloak of mortality that yanks us out of our inconsequential cloud castles and puts our feet firmly on the ground of tangible, important, essential, moral reality. Do you know when that normally hits people? It normally hits people when they're in an old age home drooling on themselves. They look back and they say, what did I do with my life? I wasted it. On garbage, on inconsequential nonsense, on envy and pettiness and lust and vengeance and being a stupid troll on Twitter. I just wasted my life being detritus, being like one grain of sand in the general sand of nothingness. Now, by the time you're 70 or by the time you're 80 and this regret hits you, it's too late fix. It's too late to fix. Don't be that person. There is a strange gift in the reminder of mortality. Knowing that we're going to die, we generally commit to living more richly, more powerfully. We can't turn this evil into a good, but we can extract as much good from this evil and damn it that way. So I'm begging you, please, look at this moment in history and find a way to turn it to depth, to wisdom, to the pursuit of knowledge, and find the moral courage to stand up for what is right, to stand up against the frivolous idiots who could bring us all down. And don't go back to what was before. Don't go back to what was before. We can't ever go back to what was before. Now you've learned how to live without dumb stuff. In a sense, this virus has taken down the dealer that gives us the cocaine of inconsequentiality. So we are without our drug. We are without our drug. And we awaken from the haze of watching our days go by like soap bubbles on a conveyor belt, kind of hypnotic, kind of distracting, kind of empty, and gone all too soon. Dig deep. Live powerfully. And shuffle off this mortal coil with no regrets. That is the gift.
that China is asshole can give us. All right. I'll take a couple of questions. I know we've had a long chat today, but uh, it's very great to see everyone coming by. All right. Um, I don't know that there's anything <laughs> other than scrolling by, uh, you know, people complaining and people, um, you know, I tell you, see, here's the thing, right? My listeners, I want you all to stay alive. I, don't want, I want everyone to stay alive. Well, maybe a couple of enemies. I wouldn't mind too much, but I want all of you guys to stay alive and to stay safe. I'm not talking to the world. I'm talking to you. So your health, your well-being is my primary concern. Let's, you know, there was lots of value in being into the show when Bitcoin came along. Much more important value being into this show, into this conversation, when something like this comes along. Let's all be left standing when it is all done. Any chance of martial law here in Canada? There isn't, uh, I don't think, capacity for martial law in Canada. I will list the sources. I don't have them now, but I will put them into the source when I'm done. How are you explaining what's been happening with your daughter? Well, we are talking about why we're staying home. We're talking about um, why we're taking these precautionary measures. And uh, yeah, this is important. She's old enough. She's 11 now, so she's old enough to understand. Again, do you guys want the article again? Some people are saying yes. You know, it's funny, you know, that the ZZZ guys, like the guys who just write ZZZ, like, oh, it's so boring. This is what I'm talking about. Don't be a stupid, inconsequential, time-wasting troll in these times. If all you're doing is sitting on a live stream going, I'm bored, zzz, 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 What are you doing with your life? If it's boring, go do something that's interesting to you, that thrills you, but sitting on a stream going, this is boring. God, what is the matter with people? Do you not think you're going to die? You want to look back and say, well... I was a wet blanking on other people's joy, happiness, and interest, and knowledge gaining. Ugh. Why is no one allowed to criticize China? Because communists have taken over the media. And so communists loved Russia when Russia was communist. They hate Russia now that Russia is Christian and relatively conservative and nationalistic. They love China. They love China. You can't criticize China. I said this on Twitter. I'll say it again. Communists get more mad at the Europeans who they believe inflicted somehow knowledgeable that there was no germ theory, they get more mad at the Europeans who they believe inflicted smallpox on the indigenous population of the Americas than they are at China at the moment. If China had acted decisively and early, if it had been honest, 95% reduction in infection rates. All right. I think that we have a great capacity to regain liberty, more liberty after this, more liberty after this. I'll do a whole other show on that, but I think that we can really get a lot more liberty out of all of this. I'm aboard. <laughs> Funny. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, let me put another little thing in here. Uh, listen, if you're home, uh, I have a book which I'm putting out. Well, it's been out for free, but I didn't realize it wasn't on my new blog. So it's called Essential Philosophy. You know, if you're home, man, it's not a bad thing to do to, uh, to, learn, some, uh, to learn some philosophy. And uh, I'm going to put this link up here. I'll put it below. The book is called Essential Philosophy. You can listen to it. The audiobook reading is there. You can read it. There we go. And, um, yeah, check it out. Just go to my, um, uh, my website, freedomain.com. I know this. 
freedomain.com and then you can go to books. Uh, no, go to blog and just scroll down and it'll be Essential Philosophy right there. All right. And please, please recognize that the word racism is just invented by communists in order to assassinate the character of people who criticize communism. Don't believe it for a moment. Just, I mean, please don't. Don't believe I mean, are there racists out there? Well, sure, yeah. But I mean, not quite as many out there as <laughs> it's constantly talked about. All right. Look at all these people. They don't listen to a thing. All these ZZZ people. Just very, 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 very sad. All right. Does this book include taxicab philosophy? <laughs> I'm, I'm right, because taxicab. Oh, it's very strange. The memes are already up on the Discord server that everyone's using. All right. Okay, listen. Let's close this down. I really, really do appreciate everyone's attention today. Please help me out at freedomain.com forward slash donate. Obviously, if you're unemployed, if you're short on cash, keep all of that for yourself. If you do have any extra resources, I would enormously appreciate it. Uh, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Uh, you got, I can take crypto. Uh, I can take um, a Visa. I can take uh, MasterCard. I can take debit cards. Uh, you can put up a recurring donation, which is really helpful for me to plan future expenditures. I do have a bunch of projects that are piling up that I want to fund when this blows over, as I hope it will soon. One way or another, it's probably going to. But um, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Thanks, my friends, so much for giving me the honor at being at the center of getting this information out there. I hope, I hope that I do you proud every time I do this. And um, I will uh, talk to you soon. Um, I may do I think we all need a break from the seriousness, so I may do a little bit of fun stuff and um, live stream me working away on uh, <laughs> on uh, the new Doom, uh, and uh, you can see how my reflexes are um, outside of a debate, but when facing, uh, well, I guess more imaginary demons than the real ones in the world. So let me know if you'd be interested in that, and uh, thanks everyone so much. Love you guys so much. I will talk to you soon.